بسم الاب والابن والروح القدس الاله الواحد امين in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit one god amen through the grace of god we will study today chapter 4 from the gospel of saint matthew this chapter actually covers three main points the first point is the temptation on the mountain when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil. The second point is the beginning of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in Galilee. And uh, we will speak a little bit about his message, the message of his ministry, and also the methods. Also, the last part of the chapter is the calling of four of his disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's start verse by verse from verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. As you know, in baptism, the Lord Jesus Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one, the chrismated one. And he was anointed to be our high priest, our prophet, and also our king. And the father testified about the son and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So, after Jesus was proclaimed to be the Son of God by the Father, the Spirit led him, the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. Part of it as a preparation before the ministry. And until now, we follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ when a priest is called to priesthood, after the ordination, he goes to the monasteries and spend 40 days in preparation for the ministry. But also in the desert, the Lord Jesus Christ faced many temptations by the tempter. And as you know, one of the titles of Satan is the tempter because he tempts us all the time. And Although during the whole 40 days he was tempted by Satan, but only three temptations were mentioned to us because of their relevance and their importance. But don't think that only during the 40 days uh, Satan tempted the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Actually, he tempted him all the 40 days and all the time of his ministry, but only these three temptations were mentioned to us. In order to learn from this temptation, the dedication, the loyalty, and the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ to God. The Lord Jesus was tempted exactly as Adam was tempted in the Garden of Eden, as all of us, we are tempted. The main point of temptation 
is to disobey God. Satan tempts us in order to make us disobedient to God. And when we disobey God, then we are not loyal to him. Now we became loyal to Satan and not to God. That's the main focus of the temptation. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ fasted 40 days. And he was not the only person who fasted 40 days. Moses and Elijah also, each of them fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, as I told you in the wilderness, it's time for preparation to the ministry. So it's time of prayer and fasting. And when we ordain a new priest and he goes to the monastery for 40 days, he also fasts during these 40 days. So it's time of spiritual exaltation, meditation, prayer, preparation for the ministry. And at the end of the 40 days, as a human being, because, you know, God became man and he took all our humanity. So he was a perfect human. And as a perfect human, he felt hungry after these 40 days. Uh, number 40 in the Bible, it's a symbol of trials. It's a symbol of testing, symbol of probations. Uh, it's mentioned in the Bible 40 days, 153 times in the Holy Scripture, number 40. Uh, which means that when the Holy Spirit uses a certain number and it's mentioned repeatedly, it has a meaning. It has a meaning. 40 is 4 by 10. 10 are, symbolizes the Ten Commandments. And 4 symbolizes the four uh, dimensions of the world, or four directions of the world. So 40, we are required to keep the whole commandment, the Ten Commandments, the Word of God, wherever we go, in any direction, east, west, north, south. That's why, as I told you a few minutes ago, Satan, all his temptation is to make us disobedient to God, not to follow the commandment. So number 40 is a number of we are tested, we are tempted to break the commandment of God anywhere we go. Anywhere we go, Satan will tempt us to break the commandment of God. Uh, and we see here in, 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 uh, in this temptation on the mountain, how the word of God was the weapon that the Lord Jesus Christ used to defeat Satan. So to understand and to know the word of God, it will help us to defeat Satan and also it will protect us from the deceit of Satan. Because as his title is the tempter, also his title also is the deceiver. He deceives us and he tempts us. Uh, verse 3, 
Satan took advantage of the Lord Jesus Christ start to feel hungry. So he started to use this to tempt him. As we read in verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And we'll see here how the three temptations are actually three uh, uh, different kinds of wars. All of us, without actual exception, are exposed to these three types of wars. And any sin you fall into will be under one of these three categories. The three categories are mentioned in the letter of St. John. It is the lust of eye, it is the lust of the flesh, and it is the pride of life. So when Satan tempted the Lord to change the stones into bread, it's about the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. How I use my power as son of God in order, he, he's telling him, you are the son of God. So you have power. Use this power and change the stones to bread and feed yourself. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Actually, this means the gift that God gave me, I'm using to satisfy the lust of the flesh. But we are required actually to discipline our flesh. As St. Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Another thing, any voice from Satan, even if it is a good advice, we should not accept it. Because he is the deceiver. So he may start by telling us something good. Like, you know, when you catch a fish, you start by giving the fish food. Something good. And then actually you catch the fish. Satan may start by giving us a good advice. Take care of yourself. Take care of your health. Eat. You know? And then he will catch us. So any advice from Satan should be rejected. We should not listen to Satan. Satan is uh, tempting the Lord Jesus Christ to rebel against God. Why are you fasting? Break your fast. Don't complete the 40 days. Break your fast. Why are you fasting? Rebel against God. Rebel against God. And actually, as Satan started his temptation with Adam and Eve through food, the same way he started with the Lord Jesus Christ through food. In, in, with Adam and Eve, he said to Eve to eat from the forbidden tree. And with the Lord Jesus Christ, he asked him to change uh, stones into bread. And that's why the church knows that Satan may tempt us through the lust of flesh, through food. So the church encourages us to fast. When we discipline our body and we bring it in subjection, Satan will not be able to overcome us. Uh, and Satan actually chose this time in a very cunning way. He knew that Jesus is hungry, so it is time actually to tell him to break the fast. But Jesus, in his mind, I came here not to save myself, 
I came here actually to offer myself as sacrifice for others. I'm here to save others. So I need to pray and fast and even to be crucified for others. I am here not to satisfy myself or to fulfill my needs, but to save others. So the self-denial was the law of his mission. Verse 4, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here we know how the Lord Jesus Christ used the scripture to attack Satan or to defeat Satan. This verse, man, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So he is saying, I am fasting. And if God actually wants to keep me alive, he will be able to keep me alive. God has his own means, his own ways, other than bread. So I will not break my fast. God can give me strength to endure until I finish my fast, until I finish the 40 days. And I trust the word of God. I trust what is written here. Man shall not live by the bread alone. I know how God actually sustained the people in the wilderness of Sinai for 40 years, not 40 days, 40 years by manna. So as God actually fed Israel 40 years with manna, and he, he, how God just said a word. He instructed heaven to uh, send the manna. And obeying the word of God, the people of Israel lived 40, day, 40 years in the wilderness fed by manna. So I trust his word and I trust his promises. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ said to Satan. And here the Lord is setting an example to us how to deal with Satan. To use the scripture actually to be able to defeat Satan. But in order to use the scripture, you need to be aware of the scripture and to know from to know the scripture. Because if you don't know it, how you will use it. Verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. I want you here to see the craftiness of Satan. He said to the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust God, and you trust the word of God. Satan dealing with Jesus as a human being, he doesn't know that he is God. So he's dealing with him as a human being. So he's telling him, you say man shall not live by bread alone, so you trust the word of God. Okay, let me uh, ask you a question. It is written that if you throw yourself from above, God will send his angels. Let us do it. You say that you trust the word of God, so let us do it. So here after the Lord Jesus Christ make it clear, made it clear to Satan that he is confident in the power and goodness of the Father and he trusts the word of God. That's why he starts actually challenging this confidence. 
And this is what Satan does with us. The very means we make use of to rebel against Satan, Satan uses this means as groundwork for another temptation. When Satan sees that we are confident in the word of God, then he will challenge this confidence in the word of God. So, he is asking him to go from one extreme to another extreme. The first extreme is to disobey the word of God. The other extreme, to trust the word of God actually in unreasonable way and to rashly tempt God. And this is about what? About pride, about lust of eyes, to feel that I am better than others. As I told you, first temptation is about the lust of eyes, of the flesh. This is about the, the, the pride. Uh, and Satan actually, uh, many times, he uh, tempted the Lord Jesus Christ with using his power in order to get attention of the people. So another way he is saying, when you throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple and people see the angels carrying you, then actually people will believe that you are the son of God. So save your time. You don't have to travel from place to place to, pray, to preach the gospel. Just save your time. Do a miracle. And with, through this miracle, people will believe that you are the son of God. And this demand from the Lord Jesus Christ was repeated several times. To do a miracle, to use his power in order to get uh, the attention of the people or to make the people believe in him. But the Lord Jesus Christ refused this demand. And yes, he quote one verse from the scripture. This verse is from Psalm 91, verse 11. So here I want to tell you something. If we don't interpret the scripture in the right way, then actually it can be a temptation from Satan. Because Satan is using a verse. But the problem here is not in the text itself. The problem is how we interpret the text. Unfortunately, all the denominations using the same text. But why you are different, it is interpretation. So we should know the right interpretation and stick to it. And we cannot accept all this wrong interpretation. We cannot accept all the interpretation to be right or to be equal. No. You need to be aware. What is the right interpretation? When you discover, or more accurately, when it is revealed to you what God intended by this verse. When God inspired the author to write this verse, what was his intention 
What God intended by using this specific verse, that's the correct interpretation. That's the correct interpretation. That's why we see here Satan was twisting the scripture, twisting the interpretation of the scripture to deceive us. And that's actually what the false teachers until now they are doing. They twist the interpretation to deceive the people. Also, it is very dangerous to use one verse to make a doctrine or a dogma. You need actually to put all the verses. For example, if you speak about salvation, don't take one verse, believe and you shall be saved. You need actually to, to put all together the verses of, about salvation. Satan here used one verse. That's why the Lord answered him in verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again. Again, there is another verse here. You need to pay attention to it. It is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So if somebody told you, it is written, believe and you shall be saved. You tell him, it is written again. Faith without works is dead. You cannot take one verse and make a doctrine out of it. And here actually you can see how the Lord Jesus Christ did not argue with Satan. He used short answers from the scripture. So uh, a simple reply from the scripture to say to Satan, what you are asking is forbidden. I cannot do it. This is rebellion against God. I will not rebel against God. Uh, verse 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Literally, we cannot say that Jesus was, uh, or Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms and their glory in one moment. Of course, we cannot understand this verse in a literal way. But maybe he made like through mental eyes. He imagined all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of these kingdoms. Uh, and he took him on a very, very high place. And then actually he started, he tried to play with the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also falsely, he claimed that he is the prince of the world. And also, he is the disposer of the human kingdom. So he can give Jesus the kingdom. But this actually false. Satan actually cannot give anybody anything. So what is the temptation here? The temptation here is about the pride of life. He wants to take the Lord Jesus Christ from the path of self-denial, from the cross, from the tomb, to establish outwardly, outward worldly domain earthly power and yes many times Satan may empower his followers on earth temporarily he deceives them with this earthly power and Satan using the world and he had authority of the world but not anymore 
until the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he was called the prince of this world in John 12, 31, and the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, verse 2. But how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with it? Verse 9, he said to him, All these things I will give you. Satan is saying Jesus. I will give you all these things, all this kingdom, if you will fall down and worship me. And that's what actually Satan demands. Satan demands to worship him to deceive us or to give us temporarily some earthly power. But here the Lord answered, verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And we cannot see that the Lord Jesus did not treat this temptation as others, but with divine authority commanded the tempter to return back to his own place. Away with you, Satan. Away with you, Satan. Now Satan actually started to reveal himself to throw off the mask and to demand worship to him. Uh, that's why the Lord Jesus Christ actually rebuked him and called him by his name, away with you, Satan, away with you, Satan. Uh, these three temptations, the Lord Jesus Christ went through them in order to defeat Satan, so he will give us victory if we are abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we abide in him, when Satan tempts me with this three temptation, actually I will be able to defeat Satan in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first temptation was through the door of appetite, food, the lust of the flesh. Second one is through vain glory. Actually, uh, through yourself from the pinnacle, angels will carry you. It's vain glory, lust of the eyes. And the third one, through ambition, the pride of life. And these are the three main temptations. If you think about any sin in your life, it will fall under one of these three. As St. John said in 1 John chapter 2, 6, verse 16, all things are in the world are uh, lust of eye, lust of flesh, and pride of life. Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Uh, Satan tried this three temptation in order to turn the Lord Jesus Christ away from the pathway of self-denial, from the cross, from the suffering that he came to go through to save us. Uh, but through faith, through the scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ was able to defeat Satan by the word of God. And here actually St. Matthew is making a comparison between Israel. Israel was the first uh, child to God, first nation who followed God. That's why God said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Because first nation follow God. And Jesus is the son of God. So here actually, St. Matthew 
is saying Jesus is the true Israel and the true son. Because Israel, the nation, was rebellious against God. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not rebel against the Father. Israel, the firstborn son, disobeyed God, but the Lord Jesus Christ obeyed unto death, the death of the flesh. So, as Adam was defeated in the garden, but here the Lord Jesus Christ was victorious in the wilderness in order to give us actually victory through him. If we submit to the will of God, we'll be victorious in our life. So, if you are the children of God, then actually you need to obey him. Because obedience is a characteristic of the true sonship to God the Father. We can see in Jesus, he is the new Adam and he is the new Israel. Israel, as son of God, disobeyed God and rebelled against God. Adam and Eve, children of God, they disobeyed God. But Jesus came actually to fulfill the law on our behalf. So he is a new Adam and new Israel. He is the obedient son who rejected each of Satan's temptation. And at the end, Satan actually uh, left the Lord Jesus Christ. But left him for a time, temporarily. He returned back to tempt him. As we read in Luke chapter 4 verse 13, he left him for a time. And as I told you in the beginning, Satan attacked the Lord Jesus Christ during his life. And in John chapter 14, verse 30, the Lord said, The prince of this this world is coming to me, but he has nothing in me. He will not win. Yeah, he's coming to tempt me, but he has has nothing in me. We need to learn a very good lesson here. As St. James said, Resist the devil and he will flee. So when the devil is resisted, he always flees. We need to learn how to resist, to be strong, to say no to the temptation. And when the devil is resisted, he always flees. When Satan left the Lord Jesus Christ, angels came to attend to the Lord and to minister him. And during the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, he was ministered and attended by the angels all the time. So this ministry was not only just to supply him with food, but also to afford spiritual sympathy and praises to him. And as we read in Gethsemane, angels also supported the Lord Jesus Christ during his prayer in Gethsemane. Verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So, a long period actually lapsed between the temptation and the next event recorded. So, between verse 11 and verse 12, there was a long period. A long period. But St. Matthew is not just writing a book of history. But he's just focusing on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he skipped this long uh, period. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, as it's clear from verse 12, now when Jesus heard that John had been in, put in prison, he departed to Galilee. So our Lord awaited the close of St. John's ministry by his arrest imprisonment before he begins his own. So the Lord waited until John was martyred and then he started his own ministry. Capernaum, a city famous in the New Testament, but it was never mentioned in the Old Testament. And Capernaum is called Christ's own city because he made it an earthly home. Why he made it an earthly home? Because he was rejected in Nazareth, as we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 30. He was rejected in Nazareth. That's why he left the Nazareth and came and dwelt in Capernaum. Capernaum was on the border between two tribes, the tribes of Zebulun and the tribes of Naphtali. Uh, now, as I said in the beginning, Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jewish people. So every now and then, he tried to preach the Jewish people and tell them that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he quoted many verses from the prophecies of the Old Testament and proved to them how this was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in verse 14, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying. This verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, as I told you, Capernaum was between Zebulun and Naphtali. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. So here St. Matthew is saying this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 was fulfilled. Galilee was divided into Upper Galilee and Lower Galilee. Upper Galilee was called the Galilee of the Gentiles. Why? Because it was occupied mainly by Gentiles. Gentiles mean non-Jewish people. Non-Jewish people. So when he said here, the Galilee of Gentiles, he is referring to the Upper Galilee. And it was in the neighborhood of Tyre and Sidon. And the word Gentiles, as I said, referring to all people who are not of Jewish origin. So Galilee, uh, sorry, word Gentiles, it's the same like the word nations or the word pagan nations. Uh, so when the Lord Jesus Christ started teaching in this area and started preaching in this area, so he is a son. He actually shone upon those sitting in darkness and valley of death. So here the, full, the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. They saw Christ who is the light of the world. And this actually is considered 
the official beginning of Jesus' ministry. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this message is the same message of John the Baptist. John, when he was preaching and preparing the way for the Messiah, what was his ministry? Repent for the kingdom of God is at heaven. Matthew 3, verse 1. That's the ministry of John the Baptist. So the Lord here is commanding repentance. And he is declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, it is not yet, but it's very, very close. Kingdom of heaven started when, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. That's the beginning of his kingdom. And he transferred us from the kingdom of Satan into his kingdom. From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The Lord reigned on a wood. He reigned on wood. Uh, sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ may speak about the, the kingdom that already come. But when he speaks that the kingdom already come, maybe he's speaking about his own person or ministry. Because the beginning of, of his ministry is actually uh, like beginning of the kingdom of heaven. But the, the, this kingdom was established literally when he shed his blood on the cross. That's the beginning of the kingdom of heaven. That's why he told them it is at hand. And when Christ began to preach, he started to gather disciples and to call the disciples. Verse 18, And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and 6 miles wide in the widest part, and the Jordan runs through it. The Jordan, Jordan, Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee. On its border, the Lord Jesus Christ lived, taught, and actually uh, did most of his miracles. Uh, now, in verse 18, we can see how he called two brothers, Peter and Andrew. Peter and Andrew were already the disciples of St. John Baptist. And St. John actually told them to go and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, his birth name was Simon. But the Lord Jesus Christ changed his name to Peter or Kephas. Both of them means uh, stone or rock. Stone. And they were from Bethsaida. And Bethsaida was a city on the Sea of Galilee, as we read in John chapter 1, verse 44. Uh, as I said, they were the disciples of St. John, but John directed them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in John chapter 1, verse 29 to verse 34. Maybe we, we wonder why Jesus did not call the Pharisees or the scribes or the prominent religious leader. Why he called people who are uninformed, simple people, fishermen. Why he did not call uh, the Pharisees or the scribes to publish his gospel and to preach 
the kingdom. Actually, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, as St. Paul said, he chose the humble people to put to shame the proud. He chose the simple people to put to shame the arrogant. When God actually chose humble people and simple people, they would follow him. They will be obedient because they would trust God. But if he chose arrogant people, they will follow their own will, not the will of God. And they can be a big obstacle to the kingdom of heaven. That's why he did not choose the arrogant or the proud, but he chose the humble and the simple people. And here actually we can see how the Lord used few words for calling. And just few words, but the response was very, very huge. Verse 19, uh, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Uh, left their nets, it has a beautiful meaning because their nets were the means of their living. Their nets provided to them the money they needed to sustain their lives. Their nets may be all their properties, all what they, they own, but leaving their nets immediately and following him, this means they actually very, very sincere, very loyal in following the Lord and accepting this calling of discipleship. They, they obeyed at once. And here is a lesson to us. When God calls us, we need to obey. We should not find any excuses or, or delay when we obey God and Christ. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other disciples, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Another example of immediate obedience, instant obedience. John's and James, uh, John and James are the sons of Zebedee. They also were fishermen. And some scholars, they, they were like second cousins to the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, probably, they were disciples of St. John. And they are now called by the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Mending their nets, Peter and, and Andrew casting their nets, so they were working. But mending, means they were not actually engaged in fishing. They, they are not catching fish right now. Just they were mending, fixing their nets. But when the Lord called them again, they left the boat, they left the father, their father Zebedee, they left their nets, everything, because they received a higher call from God. So, no earthly preference can excuse a rejection of the call of Christ. We cannot reject the call of the Lord Jesus Christ for any earthly excuse. Uh, verse 
23 and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people so wherever Jesus went he actually uh, confirmed his mission by miracles so he used miracles to comfort the people and actually to give them indication that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. The synagogues are the Jewish houses of worship, like our churches, where the Jews the Jews met every Sabbath. And this was actually the suitable place for teaching. That's why we read in verse 23, teaching in their synagogues, because that's where the people are gathered every week. Uh, Verse actually from verse 23 to 25, these three verses, actually it summarizes the labor and the teaching of a long period, which will be explained in detail in the following chapters. So verse 23 to 25 give a summary, but the details, it starts from verse 5. For example, he said teaching. So what did he teach? We will read it in, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mountain. Healing. What are the miracles? We read to start from Matthew chapter 8, all the miracles that he performed. So these three verses, like summary of the work and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ of a long period, but it will be explained in detail in the following chapters. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom means he announces the good news of the speedy coming, the speedy advent of the long-expected kingdom of the Messiah. That's the kingdom of heaven. Um, but until now, he did not proclaim himself as the Messiah. He did not reveal himself as the Messiah. And as a, a true shepherd, he sympathized with all human affliction. That's why he came to heal not only our souls, but to heal our bodies, souls, and spirit. And he healed their bodies in order also to, be he, to, uh, to heal their souls. Uh, verse 24. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Syria here... It is not the geographical Syria right now. And it is difficult to know what the exact boundaries of Syria in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. But probably the word Syria here refers to the country lying between the Euphrates on the east, Mediterranean on the west, uh, Mount uh, uh, Taurus on the north, and Arabia on the south. That's what he referred to as Syria here. And many people actually during this time were demon-possessed. Nowadays, the people who are demon-possessed is not as much as before uh, because of spread of Christianity in the whole world. But during, before Christ, we hear and we read about many people who are demon-possessed because there was no grace so and, and, and Satan was the prince of this world. That's why, as in front view, there are many references 
that many people and many persons were under the control of demons. But thank God, since the kingdom of heaven is established on the day of the cross, the number of people who are possessed by demons decreased greatly. Verse 25, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So these people followed him to hear him, to hear him, to hear the Sermon on the Mountain, which is in chapter 5. So verse 25 is immediately connected with the fifth chapter, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Deca, number, Deca means number 10. So Deca police means the 10 cities. Police city. So Deca police the 10 cities. So this was a region to the, lying to the east of Jordan, so-called as contains 10 cities, founded and chiefly inhabited by Greek settlers. So most of the people here were Gentiles from Greece. The fame of his teaching and miracles caused great multitude to gather from all Palestine to listen to him, to, to hear him, and also to be healed from their diseases. Uh, uh, the more immediate object for which this is here mentioned is to give the reader, reader of the, who reads the Gospel of St. Matthew, some idea, both of the fast conquerors and the fast the varied complexion of eager attendant, people who want to hear the Lord Jesus Christ and eagerly looking to hear the word of, of Christ upon the great preacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the astonishing discourse of the next three chapters, which is the Sermon on the Mountain, were addressed. So this verse 25 tell us how people waited eagerly to listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then actually starting from verse 5, the Sermon on the Mountain, which is considered the peak of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.